0: Welcome to the Keon Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Vince McKee, our guest tonight. You know him from WWF fame, WCW, and then one last trip with the WWF, Adam Baum. Also some stops with Smoky Mountain Wrestling in between and the UWF, and actually began his career in the AWA. We're going to cover all of it, including an exciting new action figure he is coming out with, which is just tremendous for old-time collectors like myself. Sit back, put your feet up, and grab something cold to drink. Up right now is adam bomb brian clark all right joining us now on the air brian clark you guys know him as adam bomb also wrath and then one half of chronic later on as we always talk about on the show collectibles a very very big thing especially in the world of professional wrestling i know a lot of you have been enjoying enjoying the aew documentary currently going on on sunday nights and then they always have that show afterwards with all the collectibles um uh, our guest tonight has one of the most rare ones out there If you remember the Hasbro line of action figures, the Atom Bomb action figure, which I am lucky enough to collect, uh, is actually a pretty rare item, so we're going to talk about all that. He's doing some great things right now, actually two years clean, uh, all kinds of great things to celebrate tonight. So without any further ado, here he is, Atom Bomb, Brian Clark, welcome to the show.
1: Hey man, I really appreciate you having me on, I know it's a little bit of a short notice on my part, I have a New York City appearance coming up uh, Saturday uh, and then from then on i'm just really booked because of the world has sort of reopened uh but again really appreciate you having me on uh, i've got a lot of stuff to talk about a lot of positive stuff a lot of a lot of things are kicking and uh again glad to be here
0: yeah glad to have you you know one of the things people always come over to my house actually I have them here in the studio as well i have action figures everywhere i've been collecting action figures for about 35 plus years Um, And as I said, I mentioned years. You're doing something really cool right now. I want you to talk to the fans about what you have going on with your new line of action figure and pretty much everything you have going on over there at PWTs. Uh, You know, I'll
1: start with PWTs. Um, I signed with those guys about three three months ago. It's been very positive. I have about 15 shirts uh, up with those guys. I designed each and every one of them. Um, I, during COVID, um, I just sort of turned my office into my little mad scientist room here and, um, I, I designed everything, man. I, I, I would sketch out everything. And and of course, when I say design, I, my ideas, my creations, and then I put them over to a graphics guy and he colored them in and and did that type of it. Uh, and I also reached out to a longtime friend of mine from 1993, and you may have heard of him. His name is Tom Fleming. And he was the WWE guy who handled, who did Razor Ramon, 1, 2, 3, Kid, Adam Bomb, a lot of different characters. He did the whole concept art for those guys, uh, and me included. We, we hit it off way back then, and, and uh, I touched base with him again. He now works for Marvel Comics. That's how big he is. And he did my new uh, nuclear warning T-shirt and poster that is available at TW- PWTs, um, and you got to check it out, man. It's so colorful. It looks like a cartoon character jumping off the page. Um, just he just did phenomenal work, man. It, it was my idea of how he he um, I wanted a nuclear storm, and he delivered. I uh, I'm a former military veteran. And uh, my father's a Korean War vet. Uh, both of my nephews are special forces. My entire family, my uncle's a chief master sergeant. Stepfather was uh, a, a tank battalion chief. Uh, it just goes on and on with my family. With military. And so I wanted to take in that particular picture. I wanted to do uh, something along the lines of the Iwo Jima with the Marines uh, posting the flag on Iwo Jima, but yet use of course uh atom bomb but him holding a, a, a nuclear warning sign uh a nuclear warning flag and, and so i i, I, inter- I intertwine um concepts like that and so that's what i did with that particular one and then tom understood you know with the nuclear debris flying through the air and stuff and so it's, it's really cool uh like i said man i've been so busy uh, and all positive stuff, man. Um, and not only PWTs, I also have WrestleMerch Central UK, which has like three pages of everything from beanies to bomber jackets. You name it, they got it. Um, so, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> it, and then, of course, cello toys. I uh, I just signed, just got cello toys in my new uh, Adam Bomb figure. I feel like I'm talking forever here.
0: You're okay.
1: (laughs) But uh, the Chella line is going to be awesome because we have an agreement to do the first ever chronic three-time world tag team champions, chronic, never-been-done tag team uh, figure. Uh, So, And we've also agreed to do Wrath. And also a second version of Adam Bob. So, man, I, I'm super excited.
0: Oh, geez, that's awesome. I, I'll be buying all three, I can assure you of that. Um, you know, before I get to uh, my next question here, I want to thank you and your family for your service to our country. It goes without saying. Obviously, celebrating Memorial Day yesterday, uh, just an unbelievable sacrifice. Um, and speaking of sacrifices, your body has gone through a lot. We've had so many wrestlers on the show. We've probably maybe even had about, I don't know, 50 or so professional wrestlers here in the last couple months and you know truly the the grind of being on the road the the beating that your body takes a lot of it is almost felt after your career is over and you're stopped moving as much and then the surgeries start to pile up i know you recently celebrated um uh, two years of being opiate free can you kind of talk about that journey and really kind of maybe give a message to everybody out there who might be struggling with addiction themselves
1: absolutely i'd love to um like I said, I, I'm up to 13 surgeries. I, I really wanted to stop counting after 13. Um, but there uh, if there's a will, there's a way. Uh, I don't know if it goes back to my military mindset. I'm also a collegiate former college football player at Central Missouri State. I'm a, a two-time record state powerlifting champion. I have some great coaches and some great mentors in the military. Uh, my mindset is uh, every morning get up swinging uh and once I, I you know I went through the opiate uh hell of being sick for two or three weeks uh and, and to backtrack a little bit like I said when I had the surgeries, I didn't really realize that I was being dependent on opiates. um I would have the surgery and then they would pre- prescribe the pills uh, and before that, I'd have another surgery whether it be an ear replacement, a neck surgery back, whatever it may be, elbow, uh shoulder all that stuff. Uh, And so it it just was a cycle. And I'm like, and my wife is a director of nursing. So um, who better to have by my side than her? Mm -hmm. And um, so she, uh, I told her, I told her many years that I was on them. I said, you know, in the last few years I was on them, I told her, I said, you know, I, I hate taking them. I'm sick and tired of being sick. They make me feel sick. And, uh, and I just told her, I I'd got some bad publicity, uh, through the internet on some stuff that has all the charges have been dropped. They were all false and negative and innuendo. And as my lawyer would say, ludicrous, which they were. And then now they're dropped. So, uh, that goes to prove right there. But it, it was basically, uh, a friend of mine, his friend, uh, who was just trying to get back at him and threw my name in the hat. Um, but, but the bottom line was, is that uh, all those charges, like I said, were all dropped. But the one thing that was not dropped was that I had, I had realized and I knew that I had a dependency on the opiates. And and I said, that's it. So I don't recommend this, but I went cold turkey the day that that, that bad news hit. I said, that's it. I, I went cold turkey, quit. And I have never taken one since. Um... It was very hard. Uh, I had to call on all my strengths, whether it be the military, the football, the powerlifting, all the things that I've been through, and called on. And I said to myself, "A pill is not going to control my life." And uh, and and I beat it. Uh, it took it took a couple of weeks. I was so sick, man. I tell you, I I, I couldn't even move off my couch. And if anyone has ever been through this, they would know what I mean by that—just being um, nausea, throwing up, the, the whole nine yards. Uh, and um, I beat it, man, and I'm so proud of that I beat it. Um, I've done a lot of things. I've accomplished the All Japan Championships, which is a, the pinnacle, the top of the mountain. Um, I, this is, is right up there with it, just because I've never looked back. It's in my rearview mirror, man. I've never had a craving again. Uh, once I beat it, I said, I will never go through that hell again. I, I just, and they... And I've said this before in other interviews, and they said, well, how do you know never say never? It's real something. I will never go back to day seven and remember how bad I felt. I'll never
0: do it again. I mean, that's uh, truly inspiring, too. You know, a lot of people out there might not even realize they have a problem until they hear something like that. And it gets, yeah. them, it gets them thinking, and there really is a rock bottom that, that people hit. Um, you touched on the, you touched on a few things there, and that's kind of where I want to begin um, the questions I had written down for you because to me it matches perfectly with, with how I figured it with the military background, with the collegiate football background. You know, you you got a pretty big break almost immediately into the world of professional wrestling with the AWA. Now a lot of people realize at this time '89, '90, '91, not even really into '91, but '89, '90, AWA was about to kind of go out. However, they were still on ESPN at the time, still had some national, excuse me, some exposure. What was it like working for Vern Gagne during that time? And again, how did your past in the military and also paying, you know, playing college football help prepare your body for the stresses of professional wrestling, especially for a guy like Vern Gagne who liked the tough guys?
1: Um Here's the thing. I I was actually still playing college football when I got those breaks, so it was weird. I'd get out of class and go and watch ESPN, or there I would I would be on. But I was so green, man. I just had not been trained. I had met Ox Baker, who had, who introduced me to the business. Um, but um, like I said, I was so green. I, I didn't even I didn't even know any better. Uh, I was just happy to, to to actually get my foot in the door. Cut, so to speak, I knew I had a long way to go, and uh, that's once that AWA thing was over. I touched base. Uh, Ox had touched base with Jody Hamilton and Dwayne Bruce down at the power plant, but of course, it was not the power plant. It was an old, rusted down <laughs> carpet warehouse. <laughs> but um, yeah, that, that's what I did. I, I packed after I graduated college. I packed up everything in the U-Haul and moved to Atlanta and said, "It's time to get to work."
0: and you know what were some of your early impressions of working with wcw because this is you know a lot of fans don't realize this but for the longest time it was nwa so you had the WWF and you had the nwa which obviously jim crockett and, and everything going out there eventually ted turner would buy that area make it worldwide go with wcw so you were kind of there right during that transition was there a lot of hope there that they can compete you know go toe-to-toe with WWF with having a millionaire like ted turner you know, kind of supplying the money, or was it more so still a ways to go at that point?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was still a ways to go because that was before Eric came in and took over. And uh, I knew that I was not going to get on um, the WCW television. I knew. Uh, I was lucky enough to happen to work Paul Orndorff. I was working on all the independents. And I was lucky enough to work Paul Orndorff on an independent, and he was working with Smokey Man- Jim Cornett. So Paul put me over to Jim, and Jim says, hey, bring him up. I'll take a look at him. And, you know, that's what really got me rolling, man. We had all those bloodbaths up in up in the hills of Kentucky and West Virginia, <laughs> all over the place. But with Kevin as my manager and Paul as my mentor, um, I was just soaking it up, man. And, and uh, to, to not, really not too better people to learn from who had been to the top of the mountain and uh, both helped me immensely.
0: Yeah, and I'll tell you what, too, about Smokey Mountain. It was really good. You know, growing up for me, I'm 39 years old, so I'm right in that sweet spot where I saw, like, the golden age of wrestling, you know, talking Pontiac Silverdome, WrestleMania three, and then so on down the line through the Attitude Era, the new generation, really all the great stuff of, of pro wrestling. But I'll tell you this, there was that stretch there, at least for me, where um, SMW, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and also USWA uh, ran by Lawler, at the same time, they would be on during the week. You know, uh, I don't want to say reruns or whatnot, but we had like this um, public access television, and I was so I would be able to watch it because it, it was on this uh, this one station nobody watched. But it was Smoky Mountain, and then the next day was USWA. Both those promotions did a lot. I would encourage fans to go back and look at some of those tapes. Look at some of that stuff on the network. There's so many big names who ended up in both WCW and more so WWF at the time that came from Smoky Mountain Wrestling. You being one of them. So when you land with the WWF, who came up with the name Adam Bomb, and, you know, how, how did all that come about? Because I I got to tell you this, too, and that this is straight from the hip here. Um, that was one of my favorite characters. I remember, again, being at that point maybe 7th or 8th grade, but seeing this Atom Bomb guy come in, and it was, like, mind-blowing. It was so cool. Uh,
1: that character was actually uh, developed by Tom Fleming who again as we connected uh, 20 years 20 something 30 years later the same guy who just did my Marvel Comics new t-shirt and posters and that works that are on PWTs but Tom is the one who created that Adam Bomb character so uh, he gets credit for that absolutely but I did add a lot of touches myself like the glowing contacts the red tongue uh, all the finishing moves, all the high-flying stuff. You know, all that was my part. So together, uh, to collaborate, we we made it work, man.
0: So here's the thing, because, again, you know, with the collision football, the military background, everything we've already talked about, you seem like someone who doesn't make excuses. You seem like someone who's very straightforward, and that's why I'm so excited to have you on the show tonight. These next couple of questions our stuff, I always wondered about as a fan, and now as a journalist, I still look back at it, um, you know, when we do the vintage articles and when we write about the stuff in the past. A few of these things kind of blow my mind. You, you come in, okay, and I realize this is kind of right after Hogan, and they were getting away from really pushing the big guys. They were starting to push guys like Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. However, your look was still pretty fascinating. You, to me, you had a lot of momentum, but your first... WWF pay-per-view of of big-time note was a Survivor Series pay-per-view. You're on a team, you make it to the very end, and then they have a guy like Marty Jannetty beat you, and, and, and you know, it's a, it's a roll-up, it's a simple move, but you lose to a guy like half your size. Why do you think they booked it that way? I mean, to me, I figured you would come in and just squash all four guys. Maybe not Razor Ramon, but I think you get my gist here. Like, I just, I don't understand why they did that. Yeah,
1: I, I think it was just their way to get out of to, to move the match forward and have put a face over at the end of it, um, I got a lot of my stuff. In it. uh, and it's it's strange you mentioned that because that new cello figure is actually uh, the the figure is actually wearing that outfit from the '93 Survivor Series at the Boston Garden.
0: You know, this is this is one too. I didn't even have it written down, but what was it like working in the Garden? I mean, that had to be one of the most famous arenas ever. Uh, I'm from Florida
1: originally, I'm not from Three Mile Island, <laughs> but um, it was great. I mean, um, just think about Larry Bird being on that same court where I was wrestling, and um, and then a couple of years later, I would open the United Center, I would have the very first match at SummerSlam in the United Center, I had a dark match, I was coming back from a shoulder surgery, and they wanted me to test it out, so I was the very first match before before the show started. Uh, So I had the first match there at the United Center. um, And I wrestled all over the world. I mean, not just... uh, And this was when they were drug testing and there was no drugs or no steroids or nothing. I mean, I was a clean machine on the road back then. And it was that just ruined our bodies, man. Because I was on the road for 200 and close to 90 days a year, plus personal appearances, plus autograph sessions, plus meet and greets. People... um, and I'm not dogging the new guys and stuff, but man, they're getting paid 10 times the amount of money and they work a third of the schedule. Um, it's just, um, God bless them. I mean, good for them. But I just, uh, I know what we went through and um, it was a, I, people ask me, it was a meat grind. It really was a, the schedule and the hell, it, it was, it was hell.
0: Yeah, it's you know, and I've talked with guys like Tom Pritchard in in depth about this kind of stuff, and El Snow as well, and they will tell you just how different things are now because those those are two guys training guys, and just unbelievably, I have never used the word easy because to me this is one of the hardest freaking professions anybody could ever be in, but the, like like you said, those schedule wise, it's just it's mind boggling. Um, no one having to work the independence anymore, and if you you could come out of college, and if you have a bill, NXT might sign you, developmental deals, all this stuff. It's just mind-boggling when, when we look at the stuff you guys went through. Now, here's a good question too, and I, I, I this is one I had asked uh, Duke the Dumpster Drosy, Mike Drosy who was on our show last week, because um, he came out in '96. He was the 30th entrant in '90 90, in '94.
1: Great, great guy. I worked, I, I, I worked with him many times. Talk with them on a uh, podcast
0: we're doing now for a 64-matter tournament. Great guy. But Go ahead. Oh, yeah, I saw that. I've been, Actually, I've been following that because we've had quite a few guys on our show last week. Bill DeMott was talking about that. Um, really, really cool stuff. So it, so here's a question, though. So you're sitting around, all right, 94 Royal Rumble, the 30th entrant. How tough is it to stay loose for that long amount of time? Because that's back when those guys were coming out every two minutes. You're back there for almost an hour watching everybody else perform. And another thing I've always said, it's not always best, you know, gimmick-wise. Okay, so gimmick-wise, storyline-wise, yes, you want to be number 30. However, you want to be on TV as much as you can, so the 30th entrant really isn't always the best draw behind the scenes, is it?
1: Yeah, actually, I would rather have taken number 10 or 11 or 12 or 5 or whatever. Yeah, you're right. Because um, it's all the way they book it, you know? Whoever they uh, whoever their flavor of the month is, um, is, is the one
0: that's going to get the push. So, you know, this interview is about you, but I would be remiss not to ask you different questions about what was going on when you were in the business. A really big deal was WrestleMania 10. Um, yeah. You know, for a year, man, they were talking about Lex Luger and the Lex Express he body slams Yokozuna on the duck of the intrepid. This real big deal going on for Lex Luger. And then the, the end-all be-all, the night of WrestleMania 10, they decide to go with Bret Hart winning the title. Lex doesn't even win a match. He gets beat by Yokozuna. That's it. Why do you think they made that that switch to Bret? Um,
1: Lex, uh, and I like Lex. I get along with him. I got along with him even though he was difficult with a lot of people. I got along with Lex. I got along with Bret also. I just don't think they felt Lex was over with the fans. There was an insincerity they felt with Lex towards uh, towards the fans. I think the fans could see through that. Whereas Brett was very much Brett was a guy that we would work in a we'd work a show ten twelve thousand people whatever, and there would be a few hundred people after the show that stayed for autographs in the back or out back by where we, by the exit of the arena. And Brett would stay there and sign autographs till midnight if he had to. Um, He was, he was just that type of guy. Um, And Lex was just a little bit different. And so I think that they, they could see and the fans could feel that Brett was, Hey man, Brett's like us, Brett will, he's, he's all about the fans. And so I think that that, I sort of think that's what, what happened.
0: One last question for you about the WWF before we switch over to WCW. Again, fans, I uh, want to thank you again for your time tonight. It's been a blast so far. Um, you know, and and again, and and here's the thing: like I need to make sure you know I ask you this question as a journalist and and not as a fan. And but trust me when I tell you, I was a huge Adam Baum fan. One of the, <laughs> one of the things that frustrated me, and maybe it was a transition because everything's transitioned wrestling, and I get that. But WrestleMania ten. You get a, you're in a squash match, which was just so frustrating. Did they do that to try to create friction again, storyline friction with you and uh, Harvey Whippleman to turn you face? Is that why that was done, or what? The, what the heck happened there? Because it just seemed like way out of place.
1: Yeah. What happened was we had just came off of a Europe loop, and I'd worked nights in a row and I'd worked out a fifteen minute match with this guy. And hey, God bless him. I like the guy. But he's, he was hard to work with as far as I'm doing all the flying, all the moving, because he's 400, 500 pounds. Yeah. I'm doing the slingshots, the off-the-top rope. I'm doing everything. And I got some good matches out of him for 10 nights in a row. And we were taking that match to WrestleMania. And then uh, everything got cut short. The uh, the Randy Crush match, which crushes my boy. I don't care. I love him. He takes what time he wants. But then the Razor, uh, what's his face, Scott Hall?
0: Shawn Michaels. Uh, yeah, Shawn Michaels and Razor, yep. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, Razor and uh, Shawn, they, they took all the time and got leeway. Uh, and so it, it just cut in our match. I think they were actually going to eliminate it, but then they decided, oh, let's go out there and just do do something. And so that's what happened.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, I've I've read stuff about, I know, because they had a cut, they, they had like an eight-man match, they they cut, um, with like the model, and, and Jarrett was in there, and Tatanka and stuff, and IRS, so, I always had a feeling that was the case, I just maybe thought, maybe that they were trying to turn your face, um, how did that happen?
1: At 10 nights in Europe, I said, we had a, like I said, we had a hell of a match worked out, considering it was me and him, and uh, they decided to say, hey, we, you know, we can't do it. Just for the uh, time time
0: restraints. You show up back in WCW again, and uh, I realize I continue to sound like a major fanboy, Mark, over here. But I, I also thought the Wrath character was amazing. You know, it, it was like everything you touched, I liked. You know, so 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 Wrath was really cool too. And I wasn't even a Mortal Kombat guy. I could care less about video games. Yeah. I I was I was all into sports, but um, it was just such a cool gimmick. Who came up with that?
1: Uh, that was me. Uh, they, they gave us a choice. They told us we're, they were, we were going to be doing a martial arts gimmick, but I came up with the name Wrath because it was one of the seven deadly sins. Um, and then, then I just kept adding to it and adding to it. Um, and they, they produced everything. It cost them a hell of a lot of money, but they produced it all. But, but, but what happened was, is that came out about the same time the NWO came out. And so we got watered down and just sort of pushed to the back burner on that. And when that happened... Um, you know we had some really good matches as a tag me and canyon uh but i knew that i did not fit with that group um i'd already been to wwe or excuse me wwf and i was like man nothing against these guys but you know i've been there done that it's time for me to move forward and so i i, I had a meeting with eric which i could always meet with eric where i could not meet with Vince, um but i could meet with eric and said eric you know what let me do wrath my way uh, if it doesn't work, then you can do whatever you want. Uh, and I did Wrath my way. Tied, I sort of tied in a little bit of Atom Bomb and Wrath together with the meltdown as a finish. And I went undefeated for seven, I don't know, six, seven, eight months. I don't know. Uh, and they were building me for Goldberg. So yep. uh, it, it got over And Eric loved it. So,
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it was working well. I mean, that Goldberg match was a little too quick for my taste. But overall, it was uh... – I think you got, you just, everything you touched, it always seemed to work, at least as a fan would go, you know, and this is, again, this is during an era where slowly but surely they were moving away from cartoon-based characters and things of that nature, but yours always seemed to work. I think even today with The Fiend, with Bray Wyatt as The Fiend, it works, so you could still have, um, ironically enough, I'll just explained this to my wife last night as we were watching Raw, you could still have, um, I don't even want to say cartoon-based characters, but people not using their real name, people using like a gimmick, and if they're talented enough to get it over, they could do that. You mentioned the NWO. What was that like working in WCW during this boom period? You, went, you also mentioned Goldberg, so you have Goldberg, you have the NWO, you have Sting. Everything is so red hot. What was it like being a part of that? Did it seem like it would ever end? Because for a while it was just enormous.
1: Oh, yeah, we we sold out every single night, uh, every arena we went to. Uh, internationally we sold out. Uh, it was a good time for me uh, because I had broken off as Wrath as a single and he was on a, I was on, So he, me, I was on a roll <laughs> with that meltdown and uh, I was beating everybody in my path. And they were programming me towards Gold, Goldberg towards the end of the year uh, and then they had Nash beat me and then they had Nash beat Goldberg. And so that's just sort of killed both of our steam at one time. But um,
0: prior to that, I mean, it, it, was, it was amazing. Yeah, it's just unreal. You know, one, one thing that I would say to, um, to me as a fan and now even more so as a journalist looking back at things and making timelines, you want to sit there, you want to make a timeline. For me, WCW, what killed them besides Russo and then everything that would happen after that, but in 1997, the, the main event, Starcade 1997, they had built Sting for a year and a half, to come back and save the day, to stop the NWO, to knock off Hollywood Hulk Hogan. You were actually in the crowd. They had wrestlers there in the crowd. They made it such a big deal. And then it stunk. Um, The whole the finish got screwed up. It was was supposed to be a fast count. It was terrible. I felt I got ripped off. You know what I mean? And even if the pay-per-view was like 30 bucks, it was a rip-off. And it, it was just so frustrating. I'll even mention this: earlier in the night, Kevin Nash was supposed to fight the Giant. Kevin Nash doesn't show up. He says he had a had a heart attack or something that day. Why, <laughs> why, why not pull you out of the crowd? Why not? You were you were the next big thing there. You know why not pull Rath out of the crowd and have him fight the Giant? There was just it really screwed the fans that night. What do you think went wrong? And really, in that main event, what happened? Did Hogan not want to do the job? Did I mean what in the world went wrong?
1: combination of things I, I don't know if Nash didn't want to work I, I, don't, I never heard anything else about the heart attack so I think that's a work um, I just think that uh, they had creative control over their contracts and there were certain things they were willing to do and not to do uh, and that's a mistake by any company that, that allows them that much creative you can under, I understand some creative control hey I want a first class I want a nice hotel in the cities because the guys deserve that considering the hell they put themselves through but there's a time that the booker needs to be able to have control and say, okay, this and this. It doesn't mean that you, you don't want a job out of a main event guy. It's just that you need to have some flexibility.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. So as, as we kind of wrap things up here, I want to thank you again. A few more questions, and uh, we'll let you be on your way here. As I said, you said, I know you're a busy man, and that's great. That's great news that the world is opening up, and uh, things yeah. will somewhat get back to normal here. Um, so really cool stuff really cool chronic again uh I mean you yeah, got two big dudes um you know and, and it was funny because it was two WWF guys yourself and crush you know coming in using the real names chronic I thought it was cool as can be who came up with that gimmick and what was it like working with Brian Adams uh
1: Brian was absolutely my best friend in pro wrestling we traveled together we ate together we worked out together we we went up down the roads together the same motel together. We were just as tight as we could be. Um, we had the locker room covered. He was on one side of the locker room, and I was on the other. If somebody was talking shit at the end of the night. We both met in the middle and said, okay, who said what? That, that's how tight we were. I mean, it was, it was phenomenal to have a partner that way that had my back and I had his if anything went down that locker room. If somebody was said something out of the line, um, to put it nicely, we would have beat the shit out of them. Um, but uh, I couldn't have asked our partner. We won uh, two World Tag Team Champions. We won the All-Japan Championships, um, and again, a great human being, a great person. Um, it was just amazing having our chemistry from the night we debuted. I mean, we got a pop. We were like the, the steam rolling local, runaway locomotives. I mean, we just could not be stopped, and the pops were amazing. So I was, I was just, you know, I'm very glad to have had that experience with Brian.
0: Let me ask you this question too, because it wasn't that it wasn't that long after that. That WWF bought the WCW. I and mean, this is right before they became WWE and all that other stuff. But they had bought WCW and really kind of merged things. You guys were brought in, you know, that summer right after that happened. But it wasn't a long stay. Uh, you got a title match on a pay-per-view versus Taker and Kane. And then that was it. Why did, like, I just don't understand it. And I get it. Trust me, I get it. They had the APA and they had the Hardy Boys and Edge and Christian. I realized they were pretty heavy with tag teams. But I really feel like they missed the boat with that, not having you guys sign long-term. What kind of went wrong?
1: Well, all those teams you mentioned could not hold a candle against us. And I'm, I'm not just saying that, but that's just us. But did you ever see my, I just recently done a few weeks ago, Vince Russo podcast. You have to see that?
0: No, I'll be sure to check it out.
1: Yes, that will tell the entire story. But I'll give you a brief synopsis here. Uh, we went into that. We had been off of work about a year. I had a neck injury uh, that needed operated on. Brian had a lower back issue. Shoulder. Uh, Kane. Uh, Kane had a major staff infection that was taped up. If you look at the match, you'll see his elbows swollen like a baseball. Oh yeah. Uh, and Taker had a shoulder injury, so they put all four of us in there without actually even. Going on the road and trying to work out some of the kinks and let us work together like they do with everybody else, but instead they want to hot shot it and say, "Oh no no no, we want to have you guys have two squash matches and then they guess what, you're on pay per view." Well, of course it's going to suck, you know. I mean that that was just stupidity and 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 shit booking on their part just to, to be nice about it. I, it just was. Um, it, they could have done so much more, but we got a one-year salary out of it for working two years or two weeks and then we went over to all japan which was my greatest achievement for the fact that stan hansen was my all-time favorite uh we won the all japan titles and who better to hand me the all japan belts than stan hansen so i mean that was the icing on the cake
0: that's really cool and I, i realize. I should use a much more better word than uh, "really cool," but I can't help it. <laughs>
1: hey, that, that story I told you right there about, about them bringing us in—that is a hundred percent shoot.
0: Yeah, it just—it's—it's it, it's something else to me because I think back then too. And this is not calling out Ron Simmons or anything crazy like that because I, I would never screw with APA to save my life. But the we would, we <laughs> would, Chronic Wood. It just—it's like to me they didn't want anybody's spot to be challenged. It was like, okay, we we have these WWE tag teams.
1: Did not want us there. Yes, you're 100 percent right. They did not want us there.
0: Yeah, I forgot about the Dullies. I didn't didn't even think about the Doggone Dullies at the time. I mean, there was there was there was five or six you know big money tag teams, but in this industry you need to be able to expand, and it was such a failure too. That invasion angle turned out to be so crappy because of all those reasons.
1: They could have made so much money with that, but they were being uh, what's the word? Idiots about
0: it? Well, they they crushed DDP, they crushed Canyon, they crushed you guys. Um, Booker T had a good run, but he did that because he's so damn talented. But it, it's just it's so frustrating to look back at it. One last question for you though, and this is always a fun one here. Um, was there anyone in your career that you never got to work with, but always wanted to? And you can mention several people.
1: Um, Man, during my era, man, I worked with Randy, I worked with Brent, I worked with Flair, I worked with, uh, man. I guess the only person I, it's not that I wanted to work with him, but just somebody that I did not work with was with Hogan. Um, and that that doesn't bother me. Uh, I can't think of anybody that I worked Taker and casket matches, and 30 or 40 or 50 of those uh, around the world. Um, I don't know. You t- you name someone that you think I didn't work with, and I'll tell you <laughs> yes or no. I just, I mean, I feel like I've worked with, during my era, I think I worked with everybody, honestly. I, I mean, I don't know who I might have missed.
0: No, it's pretty incredible, because you were, you were there in the heyday of W uh, W F and then switched over to wcw is all the big names migrated there as well i do actually you know just because you've mentioned his name a couple times so i'm gonna ask you one quick question about randy savage when you you got to wwf and then hawk hogan was gone not much long after that right so hogan's gone you always hear nowadays how undertaker was a, a locker room leader for many years and but really at that point undertaker was still kind of new he was only with the company about three years after hogan left did Savage step up as the lock, as the locker room leader? Was he like one of the guys people looked to for advice and, and things of that nature? Um,
1: I don't really think there was a locker room leader per se. Uh, I don't know how Taker became this locker room leader. I must have, after I was left, after I left, he and all the young guys talked to him. I don't know. I I never I never I didn't see it. Um, I, how much? Uh, if I had a question, I would go to Randy. Uh, hands down, uh, without a doubt. I just I had so much respect for Randy. Um, I got to travel with Randy some. I got to travel with Kurt Henning, Uh and guys that um, you know. Like I said, I was working taker and, and I didn't see it, and that, that's just me. And everybody, ooh, uh, the music, yeah, 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 whatever. When the music goes off, then what? Uh, I don't know. Not not trying to sound bitter. I just just trying to recall back on my experiences. Uh, and, um, I just had uh, a lot better experiences with different people. Um, and it just seems like at times he was never really happy with his opponent or, um, different situations. And, and like you mentioned earlier that, that we went back up there, you know, if you recall, Brian left, Brian Adams left after Bret Hart left. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've of that. So, so you know there was some underlying heat with Vince. Vince was like, "Okay, I'll do take her a favor because Brian's a friend of his, and I'll bring him in, kind of thing." But yet there was some underlying heat, and I could see it from the day I walked in and half-ass shook his hand. That's why I have a Legends contract that's been sitting here for three <laughs> three years in my office that will never be signed. <laughs> you know.
0: I... So. That Bret Hart thing, I mean, he's my all-time favorite wrestler. I have so much respect for the guy. You're sitting there at the time in WCW, and ironically enough, we talked about the, the nonsense that went down at Starrcade. Well, two months earlier, Bret Hart gets screwed. A lot of people think it was a work. A lot of people think it was a straight-up shoot. What happened in Montreal? When you were watching that or heard about it, did you think it was a work? Or did, were you like, holy crap, this actually happened?
1: Um, I think it happened. I don't think it's a work uh, with uh, Brent punching bits in the mouth and spitting in his face. I just don't. Uh, I just see that as a shoot.
0: Is that, I mean, who was right or wrong in that situation?
1: Um. Well, here's the thing. Brett was willing to drop the strap. He just didn't want to do it in his home country, which I understand that. That's like dropping the strap in your hometown. That's bullshit. You don't do that. You drop it somewhere else. You want to drop it? Drop it in Texas. Drop it in, in Florida. Drop it in wherever. California. Uh, you don't. You just don't do that in the guy's hometown, home country. You know, that's just my opinion. That, I'm old school like that. I, I've, I've always believed that. Always been taught that. And I think that's just the way to go. So well, I, I, I'm with Brett a hundred percent on it.
0: Well, we appreciate this very much. Obviously, your candor talking about the addiction and overcoming it. You know, if anybody gets anything out of this interview, to me that's the most important thing of all. Um, one last yeah. time, where can fans follow you on Twitter, social media, and, and pick yeah. up your merchandise?
1: Yeah, let me just real, real quick before we leave. I, I'm, I'm at, at Real Brian Clark on Twitter. And uh, Facebook is Brian Clark. And uh, if you got any questions about anything, training, working out, whatever I can help you with, I'm more than happy to. Very accessible. Um, and uh, I really appreciate you letting me have this time.
0: Yeah, no, no problem at all. I do want to let the fans know he's definitely accessible. I mean, me and him pulled together this interview in about ten minutes flat. So, uh, <laughs> I, I was outside my uh, studios doing some gardening. So this was uh, done at spur of the moment, but it couldn't have went any better. So we want to thank you again, and uh, you're you're you know free to come back anytime you want and, and plug whatever you need. Sound good? Awesome, brother. I appreciate it. Hi, uh, we appreciate you. Take care. So that was Brian Clark uh yeah as like i said everybody knew him um just unbelievable he had three huge gimmicks in wrestling uh not counting really you know the night stalker in uh, smoky mountain which was also cool but really the three biggies there adam bomb wrath and then as a part of chronic Whew, a lot of interesting stuff a lot of good stuff to break down we will do that later this week but for tonight we are going to call it a wrap For our guest tonight, Brian Clark, we want to thank him again. I am Vince McKee. You've been listening to Key on Sports Media Group. We'll talk to everybody real soon.